0: The knickknacks here fellas welcome back we are here again with logan fitz logan and i actually recorded an episode prior but uh we decided to just do a fresh one because a lot of things have changed since then and uh we knew we could
1: do better logan welcome man thanks for coming on dude i appreciate you having me yeah it's uh kind of interesting just like the timing i remember our last conversation that was probably like what like march or april something like that Dude, yeah, that was that was a while ago, because I think I was still in Mexico City. So that had to have been, like, February. Nice. Cool, yeah. Um, it's just interesting, the, the disparity. Obviously, very similar topics, but just, yeah, a lot's changed since then. So excited to, to dig in. Been loving all the stuff you put out this year. You've been crushing it, so.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, a lot's changed on both sides. I mean, literally just thinking back about, you know, where we were both at when we had the last call. I genuinely think that was February and how much has changed. It's pretty absurd, but uh, I know you've been up to a number of new things, recent things uh, you've been switching things up and stuff, you know, what was kind of the impetus for that? Like, why did you get the urge to, I guess, start from scratch, or if you want to give everyone an update of like what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess like the, just the to, to give the rough timeline, um, basically I was, you know, 2022 was really kind of aggressively building my fitness company. Um, I had a partner, we ended up splitting ways, kind of rebranded, relaunched it, um, sometime like maybe April 22 and around that time as well. Um, uh, my good friend, Nick and I, uh, decided to kind of partner up and, and launch a, a marketing company, launch socials. And so then as time went on, I was still running the fitness stuff on my own under the, the untapped athlete brand. And, uh, was going great, like getting people results, things like that. But just the, the marketing company we started kept growing. So towards the probably like beginning of this year, just kind of, you know, as I'd fulfilled a lot of the contracts that I had sold on the fitness side, um, and those kind of ended just like stopped pushing it so much and really went all in on the marketing company. Um, and just, you know, throughout this year, aggressively grew that, um, and, you know, then like we ended up, I left Miami, we got a a team house and had like five or six guys living together in South Florida in a crib, just like working on everything. And just overall, um, I don't know, I was kind of just like burnt out a little bit creatively. And I think too, that was, you know, I I kind of abandoned my hunter type tendencies a little bit and was more so just like in grind mode and that kind of wore me down a little bit. And then for, you know, a number of different reasons, Wanted to. I, I ended up leaving the company, and Nick just continued running it from there. And so from the, from that point, um, you know, just been working with marketing clients on a more like done for you level, um, and doing that, and just like, I mean, doing a good job, right? Like writing great copy and content and all that kind of stuff. But just ultimately, uh, again, just trying to find like like the biggest thing for me is getting into that like workflow where it's like you have the clarity and it feels good. Like, I feel like, you know, you're doing a good job when you feel pulled into the work versus like a, a sort of forced thing. And so just like, wasn't really finding that even though it was, you know, doing well and working, it was hard to get myself to that point. Um, and so ultimately kind of just a roundabout way came to the conclusion that ultimately, uh, the fitness stuff is really like what I'm kind of designed for. And uh, so yeah, actually kind of relaunched it this week and getting it going again, starting to spread total tropical fascism. <laughs> Let's go,
0: dude. What was, uh, you, you left Miami, which, which I was surprised about. Like, how did that change the way you approach things? I know Miami is its own beast, but from what I've seen, you guys went a little bit more quiet, a little bit more tranquil in your environment that switched things up a lot for you? I know every time that I change environments, it's like I'm a completely different person.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Um, You know, I think uh, what we tried to do, just like having everybody in the house, like together in that more tranquil environment was like probably a net negative for me because a lot of the like good stuff that, like I just like to be kinetic, you know? Like when I was in Miami, Mm -hmm. I would wake up and there's you know there's two sides to miami right there's like what everybody see what everybody sees which is like fancy dinners boats nightclubs that kind of shit and then there is the more tranquil version of it which is like guys you know training mma at the park going to muscle beach to lift outside um, like bike rides walks getting in the ocean that kind of thing more holistic version um and so that was really like you know my second and like the last year and a half i was in miami that was more so what i was doing than anything. Um, and so I would always like, I would wake up immediately, you know, go down grab an espresso, go for a walk or a bike ride, like jump in the ocean, then work a bit at like a cafe or, or the Kratom bar. Um, and then, you know, bounce around, go lift off, like just constantly moving. And so moving that environment, um, I think was a net negative for me as a person, mm-hmm. uh, just because I'm not really designed to be like at my laptop all the time and just kind of like doing that. I'm meant to be kind of expansive and kinetic, just where I function best. So um, yeah, definitely hurt a little bit on that end. Like I was just less creative and inspired. Um, And so ultimately, uh, yeah, just kind of decided to switch it up. I've been bouncing around a little bit, traveling stuff like that. I'm in Ohio right now, obviously Thanksgiving, visiting family. Um, And so, yeah, man, I just think overall, like, it, the environment is such a huge piece. And for me, being able to move around and have, you know, play like being at home is the worst thing. I think if you're a more creative person, it's just the worst thing possible. Right. Cause you're just mm-hmm. stagnant. You don't have kind of those environmental changes and cues that spawn ideation and creativity. Um, and so, yeah, it was a big, big change for me. And ultimately I kind of decided I needed to get back to, uh, having a bit more free-flowing environment
0: so important and you know you bring up a really good point that ideal environments are so subjective objectively speaking you would think that everybody would be the most productive Mm -hmm. we just sat in a room with our laptop and had no distractions but you know that doesn't matter right like it all depends on what you work best with and as you've probably seen the only way you can figure that out is by testing out those different environments oh yeah you know i think the novel stimuli aspect is important having a lot of opportunities for different things to spark your creativity and to spark arousal. And that's from what it sounds like makes Miami incredible. You know, for me, that's why I like the kind of free expansiveness of like small beach towns because you can go wherever. And valuing mobility is something that I think a lot of people underprioritize, but would do a lot better if they could. I'm sure that you knowing that you can go wherever you want tomorrow is huge. Like it opens up the doors to so many opportunities. For me, you know, I'm willing to sacrifice a lot of the benefits that you get from staying in one place, from focusing on one thing for an extended period of time. Because at this point in my life, I value mobility so much. And I believe other people should too, because you know, I think you're a good testament. Like even if you do achieve a lot of success in one field, you oftentimes still don't know what you really want out of life, out of your work, out of whatever. I mean, we see guys in their forties, look at Jeff Bezos right now, right? Like Jeff Bezos was this guy for so long. And now he's TRT Chad with his Latina girlfriend on yachts and stuff like complete, you know, life crises happen all the time. But uh, one interesting thing that you brought up is you said the most important thing is getting out of the house, right? Not being cooped up and that is so important and it has evolutionary significance too. like when we're stuck in one place, when we're at home, we're in a conservatory mindset, Mm -hmm. right? We're like, we're safe. Let's just conserve everything. Let's not expend too much energy because this is a good spot. The second you go to a new environment, you're tapped on to an exploratory mindset. Where are the resources? Where can I build fire? Where can I find a new habitat? And I'm sure you notice it. I notice it when I'm traveling. It just, it, it just absolutely like turns my brain on like nothing else, which is why I prioritize it. And is it objectively the best for productivity? No, like I'm sure you'd agree that like traveling is not objectively the best for productivity, but for some people, subjectively speaking, it might be the most important thing they could ever do and most never do it. Like I know guys that have never left, you know, the
1: Midwest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, everybody's different, right? There's certainly people where they, uh, you know, probably do work best kind of like hold up, uh, very tranquil environment. Uh, but I think like productivity is a really interesting just concept in and of itself, Um uh, because you know, really like, what is productivity? Is it, is it checking items off a list? That's not really the way I think, like to me, productivity is like inputs, outputs, you know, like what can you, what can you get out of, you know, the, the inputs that you're putting in. And a lot of people just focus on, um, you know, they're, they're really like attached to work emotionally in a sense of, and obviously you need to work hard, right. That's just like a given, but they're very tied to um, kind of wearing their inputs as a badge of honor. And, uh, I don't really subscribe to that mindset. It's more so like, are we accomplishing our output and what's the fastest, straightest line to getting that output that we want? And for me, that just tends to happen a lot faster when I am out and about, like, it, it's crazy. Like if you sat me down at a desk and, or you put me on a flight and then in like a cafe in some like random spot, I get way more done on the flight and in the cafe than I would ever get done just kind of like sitting at my desk at home.
0: Yeah, well, especially, you know, in our field of work, I, I know for you, like a lot of it's based off of creativity, right? It's based off of sparking of new ideas and idea generation. And, you know, that's that's tough to do in a vacuum. If you were an accountant or a data analyst and you're just plugging things into the spreadsheet, yeah, go lock yourself up in a room, but you brought up a good point, like different strokes for different folks, right? The environment that's ideal for someone who's, who's more of a, a client to be a hunter, as opposed to a farmer, is going to be completely different in its entirety. I've realized that too. I, I used to like city cuck myself, essentially. Like I felt like I needed to be in a productive environment because I needed to get shit done. And I was busy. I'd wake up early. I'd go to work at the co-working space and I'd get things done, right? Objectively speaking, I was getting a lot done. But I got to a certain point when I kind of removed all of those things and was just working on my phone on 3G on top of a roof with, you know, no Wi-Fi. And I was doing more. I had more clarity. I was effectively making as much, if not more money and I realized what I was lacking was not productivity, but clarity. And once you have the clarity, you know what you have to do, you get it done, and then you just have so much more time and space for other things as
1: well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, the, the clarity bit is super important, right? Just like having a, a clear, I and I think like a lot of people, when they think about their, their work and their productivity, they, you know, like I, I like to liken it to, if you're writing like a 10 page paper, right? Uh, which when I was like in college, that was the absolute death of me. I would procrastinate to all, all ends, you know, would wait until the absolute last minute and then stay up from like until 5. AM and finish the 10 page paper in one shot at night with that deadline pressure, because otherwise I just didn't care to do it. Right. Uh, but so a lot of people, when they think about like, they have a, you know, some sort of task like that, we'll say writing the 10 page paper, they, what they do is they sit down and. They're like, they're just staring at kind of their keyboard and, you know, tapping away and just trying to force it that way. And so, but a lot of times if they knew exactly what they were going to write, they could get it done in 15 minutes. Like writing the actual words, 10 pages is not hard. It doesn't take very long. Right. But they sit there and they're there for weeks because they don't know what they're writing. And so like, for me, I've maybe since probably probably 2021, like I just stopped kind of placing the, those expectations on it. Of like, oh, I have this thing I want to get done. Like I need to sit here and work on it. And like I would literally just walk until I had a really clear idea of exactly what was going on and then try to like minimally use my, my laptop to execute on that. So I would just literally walk and build out the outline and like the arguments and the flow of logic I'm trying to write and then get it to the point where there's really no nothing else to think about and then get on my laptop just for the pure execution of it. And it takes no time at all. Uh, and that's just worked really you, well for me. Do you bring like a
0: notepad, like a notepad when you walk or are you just catching with, those ideas or are you just letting them flow? Just the notes in my phone. Okay, Yeah, I'll, I'll, I gotta do that. You know, that's really important too. It's like the phone is so powerful for me. And I, you know, with us, anybody who works online, it's so distracting it's horrible and you know if you are someone that's like really prone to stimuli that you you need that's st- like that stimuli and you're drawn to it it's really easy to fall into that i've been working on just like deleting everything off of my phone putting it on grayscale and reframing my relationship with that phone as something of utility i did it with my ipad really effectively where my ipad the only things i do on it is read and write so i pick it up and i don't think about playing angry birds or clash of clans or scrolling instagram i only associate that device with those things. And I'm honestly just considering getting another phone. Uh, have you seen like those, the, the like minimalist phones that they're coming out with now? I got.
1: The, oh, you got two phones? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I got the, the work, the workstation. And then the, the what I, I call it, like I have them in the iPhone. Like this is the blue ones, the cash phone. And then the red one is the, the social phone. But honestly, I, I, right, I ended up using the the red one for work a lot too and just like i'm a notes maximalist i probably have 900 notes in both of them if not more um yeah i don't it's for me like i never really like i don't know anytime i'm thinking about like you know i don't really try to like reduce anything right in the sense of like deleting apps or um you know putting on grayscale like i i that never that doesn't work so much for me i've found like it ultimately just kind of makes me want to do it more if i'm like no i'm not gonna do this uh, mm. for me, it works a lot better. I think just to like, think about not removing anything, but more so just like kind of replacing it with something positive. Um, and so I just try to focus on that. And like, if I'm in the zone or I'm working, whatever, uh, oftentimes I'll put on like a house mix or some various playlists that I have for the, the mute mood for the day, some synths, whatever it might be. Right. And then just like try to walk and get some novel stimuli and just tap into the notes and crank it out. And then once that's really there and I have that full clarity, um, that's when I'll sit down and actually start working, you know, but it's funny cause all the yeah. results come from the ideation. Most of the time they always do. Yeah. Nietzsche always said, he's like, no great idea has ever been
0: like formulated sitting down. No, yeah. I, I try that. You know, my thing is trying to figure out a system to be able to actually capture those. Cause I get my ideas when like I'm at the beach. When i'm like sleeping all of my ideas come when i'm sleeping and then by the time that i get up and try to go to my computer and write them down they're gone so i mean recently i've just been staying up late and just have like my blue light blockers on GABA maxed, and like i'll plow through stuff like that but you know the hard part for me and i'm, and I'm sure for a lot of people it's like once you go to sit down like all of that inspiration is gone and like you're just blank slate again it's hard i mean especially with people you know who have more like adhd like tendencies like doing the work is tough Um, you know, one of the things I'm really trying to do now is just, if I sit down at my, at my laptop, I have an objective and that is the objective that I'm doing. I personally use a lot of those like restraining agents because, you know, I just don't trust my brain. Uh, I kind of keep that as a, as like a precedent. It's like my mind's here, my brain's here, you know, they're not interchangeable. They're not in, in cahoots with one another. You have to like reason with each of them. But, um, with you, you know, you mentioned you had like 900 notes, do you have any sort of like note taking system you use or is it just blasting
1: in the notes app? Um, yeah, I have like, <clears throat> kind of, I, I started doing this. I wrote a thread on it a long time ago. Um, but like, I kind of build out like a skeleton for my brain in my notes. And so mm. I have, you know, I just like rough keywords that I'll, I'll work off of. And, you know, every probably, you know, a couple months, two, three months, I'll, I'll kind of rebuild it and start fresh. Uh, but yeah, I build out like a skeleton for kind of like, there's really not that much to life. If you think about it, you know, there's what you're going to do, like work wise, there's your own health, there's your kind of relationships. And then there's your, you know, like creative and and spiritual fulfillment. And so I kind of bracket these things, um, and and just create like a skeleton for my brain. So that it has, you know, for any given like three month period, kind of a, a rough structure of you know, like the, the overarching notes, and then I'll like splinter them into the subtopics I'm working on. And mm-hmm. just like kind of have that as a free flowing spot and, and identify them by keywords. So I can just like go in and search and find exactly what I need real quick and then lay down anything that I'm kind of uh, thinking through. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I, I think that our brains work very similarly.
0: I don't want to make any assumptions about how your brain works. But I've found that you know, nonlinear thinkers, they can't do the traditional like lined ruling of linear thought, because that's also not how the brain works, right? Like one neuron sparks another neuron, which sparks another neuron. Like for us and for most people that like don't have a very structured executive functioning system and the other parts of the brain kind of run more free, like one idea sparks another, sparks another. And the best way to conceptualize those ideas or those things going on in your life from what I found is doing like those, I call them the buckets, right? And you were talking about like health, you know, career relationships. I do that too. And like every morning I go and I sit down, like what are all of my buckets? And I do it on non-ruled paper and I just throw all the shit in there. And then I do that on, honestly on a cadence as well where like I'll reset. I'm like, okay, three months are over. It's like time for to reset the buckets. And I find that to be really effective. I think this just goes to say that there isn't one, effective way of taking notes. There are thousands of note-taking systems. Uh, the best way to do it is to understand how your brain works and then try to recreate that in the tools that we have available to us. And you said you use that the apple notes, the apple notes, have you ever used notion?
1: I mean, yes, I have, especially on the more like professional side. Uh, but I just find myself, I, I just don't use it so much, you know, like it'll, it'll be there. Um, and, and it's just like, not really. And I think it's more so just because again, like, I don't like to like sit down and, and, you know, be kind of geared on the laptop unless I have to be. And so I, I guess I'm sure they have a mobile app, but I don't know. The notes to me is just like the, the simplest common denominator that I can just rip off of and, and not feel like a, a overbearing structure, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I've really, I've, I've used notion, but just like never really stuck with it so much. Yeah. The, the friction, there's a little bit more friction there, but I found,
0: you know, a myriad of tools that have made it really effective, especially when gathering information, right? Like, like, like with research and stuff with, uh, there's like a Chrome extension where I can just send it all there. There's a guy named Tiago Forte and he has like this system. It's called like building your second brain. I found that really effective. Um, once again, it really comes down to like how much friction do I want to induce and like learning that system, which is kind of a pain in the ass. But back when I was like really on top of my shit, I'd, I'd say I'm a lot more free-flowing now that was super helpful. I, I definitely recommend people check out the, at least the idea of building a second brain, uh, in like a notion database. You could probably do it in apple notes as well.
1: Yeah, that's what I, like I had, I don't know if you know, uh, Justin Scott, but like two, three years ago, he, <coughs> excuse me. He, uh, like walk, walk me through and like help me build out this whole system. And it just didn't stick for me. Like, like notes, notes is just always there. It's convenient. I can pull it up whenever and just kind of let stuff fly. Um, and I think that's just kind of what helps me best, but it, you know, like you said, everybody's different. I think the only way it's very much. So like your body, you know, and your diet and your training, like you kind of have to experiment a little bit to really find the, the thing that's going to make the most sense. And you're going to ultimately want to use consistently. Yeah. And that's
0: the goal, right? Like no matter how complex the system is, if you don't use it, it's pointless. And yeah, the same applies to fitness, right? I think a lot of people try to get the ideal fitness training regimen, you know, where they're doing this, this, and this, and they make it super structured and sure. It may be effective for like the first three weeks, maybe a month, but after that they, they fizzle out. And I think that's so ridiculous because at the end of the day with anything, the real results happen when you just commit to it on a daily and weekly cadence for months at a time um it looks like you've been getting absolutely yoked recently has your fitness regimen been changing have you been doing the same thing like your entire life i know you used to also work with uh knees over toes guy ben
1: patrick the goat before i think before he was even on youtube yeah that was like that was actually like my first job really i guess like i mean I, i you know like growing up i mowed lawns. And, and then I ended up my first real job, if you will, was working at the, the YMCA in my town, like, just kind of like the gym front desk attendant. And I would also like score the basketball games for the youth league yeah. and shit like that. Um, but so then, and then I also like worked at the ski resort in my hometown. We use the word resort lightly, right? Cause it's in Ohio. It's nothing crazy, but, um, but so those were kind of like my youth jobs. But then when I went to school, and ultimately ended up dropping out after my sophomore football season kind of ended. That was like my first job as I went to, I packed up my car, moved to Florida, uh, and I moved to Clearwater because at that point, you know, throughout my life I had kind of, I had Graves' disease, right? But I also, you know, from probably age like 13, was just like a nerd and uh, really digging into, I was a good athlete, but wanted to be like, you know, a legend sort of deal. So I started training super intensely, like 13, like eighth grade, freshman year in high school, and just taking it really seriously. Uh, and I got really strong and ended up playing uh, smaller FCS D one football. And like, so I put on, but basically I saw the Avenue or at least the information that was there for me was like the Avenue to me getting to be the best athlete was like, you know, basically like working out training. Right. And so I went down. The I just took it super serious and kind of went through, I guess what you would call like you know power building if you will, um, just like you know strength mass etc. with some Olympic lifts as well baked into that like power cleans um, and just like getting stronger really and and I got super strong you know as I was 18 19 and I could fucking squat like 495 for like six seven reps and you know benching 365 as an 18 year old. And like, ultimately that left me, I, uh, you know, I was a good athlete, right. But definitely not what I could have been. And I also, you know, had like hip issues, knee problems, a little bit of shoulder problems, just from, you know, especially then in college, you know, college football weight rooms, it's like intense, heavy fucking compounds, like the whole time. And so I had these issues, my sophomore football season, like I had really bad patellar tendonitis. And just really wasn't even myself fully. And so when I dropped out, I knew I wanted to like pursue e-com internet marketing in some facet, uh, as well as the, the health space. And uh, so I moved to Clearwater for the sole reason. I mean, I've picked Florida because it was sunny, right? And then picked Clearwater because I had found Ben when he had like 2,000, 3,000 followers on IG and wanted to just work out of his gym. And so I moved down there. Signed up the first day. That was, like, the first thing I did once I kind of settled in. And, uh, yeah, started working out there and was just, like, yo, dude, I want to learn. Like, is there anything I can help you with? Um, and so, like, started helping him train uh, one of the football teams that he was working with, like, just for free, just to, like, learn and be around it. Um, started working out at his gym. And then, like, I, I got, like, a cold calling some bullshit like telemarketing job for like three weeks. And it was like, this is so awful. But in that time I was at the gym every day and he was like, hey, like you wanna start working weekends. And then it just like started doing that maybe like a month after uh, he hired me full time. It was just like training, helping with the online stuff at the very beginning of ATG. Um, so that was like my first real job, I guess.
0: Damn, that's wild. He really changed the way that I looked at fitness, and I think most important, like structural integrity. And you brought up a good point about how those injuries are a son of a bitch. And it is so crazy to me that you can have the world's best athletically gifted person ever, pure talent, all the work ethic, and they'll get a minor injury. Like they'll mess up their tendon and all that prowess is gone. And it's just so crazy how like fickle the human body can be. And how just like the smallest little injury can, can ruin you for life. And I realized that because, you know, I think I had a similar thing. I was never, I never had like really high athletic prowess. And on top of that, I was always injured. So I felt like my athletic potential was just completely ruined as a kid. Cause I was always battling injuries and it was so frustrating for me. And it was when I tore my calf in a skiing, in a skiing injury after that, I was like, you know what, fuck this. Like I need to focus on structural integrity above all else. Cause I hate not being able to do anything. Cause I'm always injured. And, uh, Ben Patrick was like really the guy that kind of had me tap into that idea of like, not just focusing on muscles, right. Like prioritizing structural integrity, your connective tissue, your ligaments, your tendons. And after that, you know, I became effectively more bulletproof. I was able to put my body through a lot more. And, you know, I think that is one of the most important aspects of fitness as well as like the other components. And, you know, I think that's just the overarching ideas is I don't think people expand their their view on fitness enough right Mm -hmm. i i probably you know for me growing up it was just all about getting bigger muscles that's all i want i just want to be bigger right and then i completely forwent uh so many of these other aspects of fitness that if i would have contributed to like learning in the beginning i would have not only been bigger and stronger but i would have been bigger and stronger for longer and now you know i'm just i see fitness as very much a creative Uh, an explorative process of figuring out all the different modalities and aspects and you know i for all, all intents and purposes i'm in better shape i'm achieving higher goals than i set when i was just focusing on those small pieces and
1: you know i'll be able to do it for longer and i feel better which is most important yeah man yeah that's i mean it's really like um you know to me that's like to me my kind of entire thesis right and like what i do and like you know how i view What i do on that fitness lens especially you know working with all the clients i have over the years like i feel like that's kind of the 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 different thing that i do i mean obviously you know uh the the deep sort of like biochem and just understanding the mechanisms pathways of your biology and like how that affects your internal health right um definitely a a huge thing but for all intents and purposes that stuff's like pretty simple right like you uh, you know you overcome The acute issue but then it's like at the end of the day you arrive at the same place of like eat real food have a good light environment you know supplement in maybe um, things where you're lacking nutrition and try to remove a lot of the toxic stressors right so it's like everybody kind of arrives at the same place there i feel like the if they care about their health and their well-being at any rate but on the training side like that's really my whole thesis is because i you know like ultimately what keeps people or what gets someone to their, their best physical shape at the end of the day, like, like you mentioned, there's a lot of different ways, but it's really intensity in time. Like if you apply into high intensity over a long period of time, you're going to get to where you want to be, whether that is just, you know, like aesthetics or it is some form of strength or it is some form of, you know, athleticism. And so like the thing that holds people back from that, right, is applying the intensity over time. And for a lot of people, they they go to like they most people aren't lazy like that's just a a horrible idea i think i mean maybe a little bit in america i guess but even then like they don't want to be lazy what happens is they go and like anytime they do anything intense or try to imply intensity it makes them feel awful and so then they're like fuck this is like it reinforces this idea that they can't do it and so you know building the the foundation so that all of that work can be very additive Is is kind of my whole thesis and there is just so much stuff that, you know, the, I mean, certainly the kind of incumbent system, right. Is designed for you to just be sick and frail and not feel good. Right. With, you know, pharma and allopathic medicine and things like that. But, you know, even if you look at how most people go and they, if they hire a trainer at like a big box gym, like they have no even clue that a lot of this shit exists. You know and they're just going in and and basically like killing people and it's kind of the same thing with the productivity in terms of you know they're just taking the inputs as a badge of honor rather than trying to actually progress and the big thing that holds people back is a lot of times like anytime they apply meaningful intensity now they're fucking hurting all the time and their back feels like shit, or their knees hurt or this and that and so really digging in and just finding the 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 modality and the approach so that people can feel good as they go to apply that intensity, then they do it for longer. And then they ultimately get the results. Yeah, it, it,
0: it really is so simple at a foundational level, like just being in good health, it, it, it's simple, but it's super difficult because everything around us is kind of detracting us from that. And we get the shiny object syndrome from all of like the trendy, cool stuff. Because nobody wants to, you know, just have a healthy, balanced lifestyle and eat good food and like exercise more, and go on walks and get more sunlight. Like they want that little thing that's going to give them that competitive boost. I see it a lot with like biohackers, right? Mm -hmm. Where like, they don't want to just like live a better lifestyle. They don't want to like work a little bit harder. They want like the tools that are going to give them the competitive edge that nobody else has. And you see it, a lot of people will go and they'll do those extreme things and they'll end up being worse off for it, both from like a physical and from like a supplemental nutritional standpoint crazy fad diets, crazy supplementation, crazy workouts. At the end of the day, I think the key is to just build a really healthy baseline and just have that as your foundation. And then slowly and gradually focus on these like minute things that do take a little bit more technical prowess to like problem solve. And a lot of it's just reversing damage from lifestyle. And I I see that with like the more uh, like, 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 I guess, not just fitness. I, I mean, for me, fitness has always just been easy. It's always been second nature. So I can't really even have like a strong opinion on fitness, you know, cause it's like asking someone who's like naturally really good at focusing. It's like, how do you focus? Like I just sit down and, and do the work. You know, I, I think like th- you have to build that foundation and then you have to like isolate what you're trying to improve and do it in like a very ca- cautious manner. You know, it's like you see people get injured from doing sprints. I'm sure you've seen that where like they go from sitting on the couch all day and immediately they go to the beach and they go all out on sprints and they get injured. It's like, yeah, what do you expect? You know, it's like running a marathon after, you know, not walking for the last six months. But I know you've had a lot of reps with uh, training people. And one thing that I've noticed is I've started really focusing on helping people as well Is like you start seeing patterns and you start seeing things that a lot of people are dealing with and things that people are looking at wrong. From what you've seen from, you know, your experience, what are you seeing as like the main like patterns and issues that everyone's overlooking, but like everyone, if they were to address would experience, you know, pretty significant improvements and benefits from at least from a health and fitness standpoint, maybe it's a lifestyle thing. Maybe it's a diet thing. Maybe it's a training thing that you're like, people got to stop doing this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think like, you know, kind of again, like the big piece, like kind of going back to that like intensity over time, right? Like I also think that's why I'm so big on athletics because I think too, you know, it's kind of like to me the inverse of that sort of biohacking mindset because now you're like, you're focusing on an external pursuit that also is competitive in nature and like builds a community around it, right? You can't play sports by yourself. You're doing it with other people for for most sports, right? So I'm big on that just because I think it like, it kind of removes the the overthinking and you're just like, you're out there to do that. It's very clear what the the external task is. Um, so like I'm big on, you know, working with people to, to find that thing because if you have a sport that you love and you can do it safely and healthily, like you're just gonna keep doing it because you love playing the sport and it kind of simplifies the game. But on the more, um, I guess like theoretical, I guess, if you will, um, like what? What people mess up? I think the biggest thing, probably, is just like you know, I, I've taken a lot from from Ben and working with him, right? And like kind of the the big idea there that to me is really important is like strength through length, and basically understanding that if like any injury that's going to prevent you from applying intensity is really just a function of you know you you either you applied too much stress that you weren't capable of handling at that moment in time. Right. And so like building everything out and that could be from a strength perspective or from like the length perspective, right. You're either putting too much force or you're applying too much stretch to what you're able to handle safely. And so that's like a huge component of everything I do is like just, you know, prepping the body to handle some of these like weird positions or, you know, extended ranges and building strength through that. Like that's, at the core of everything I do is like, we want to, you don't want to be weak in any position, right? You want to build the strength throughout that. And so I would say that's a big thing. Um, a lot of people, and as I progress, like, I don't know if you are aware of like the expression, compans- expansion, compression model. Um, but that's really kind of like at the core of a lot of what I do now as well. Um, and so this idea that like at, at the end of the day, everything is very rotational in nature. Right. Like you're, and it kind of comes back to then, you know, expansion and compression is ultimately what every movement is. Right. Um, you know, internal rotation is more compressive. External rotation is more expansive. Right. And so even on like a bench press, which seems very linear, uh, you know, when you are bringing down your, you know, bringing down the bar to your chest, like that's external rotation, right you're, you're expanding, you're, you're opening your chest, yeah. right? It's expansion. And then as you, you know, contract and you push through now you're, you're internally rotating, you're compressing. Right. And so just like kind of realizing that that is there for basically everything that you do, um, is a huge piece and just kind of factoring that into, to your lifts because it ultimately allows you to get into those like deeper ranges of motion and build strength in those places and ultimately be healthy. Um, and so I would say that's, Kind of like second thing um yeah and then just like understanding that your nervous system like what like our nervous system physically is designed to protect us right it's there to keep us safe and so given that you know a lot of people that have like these aches and pains or they're maybe even not as strong as they want or not you know as athletic as they want it's just their nervous system it's basically protecting them from performing at a level that it feels might hurt them, right? And so, um, you know, working on that and understanding that there is a correct way that our body is designed to handle force and and stress and and kind of building off of that and and working through it. So, you know, a lot of people's feet, right, like really kill their whole kinetic chain up because their feet aren't strong. And if their feet can't handle it, guess where that... Guess where that stress goes. It goes to their knees. It goes to their low back. It goes to their knee or their hips, wherever it might be. Right. And so like working on their feet, uh, really getting people, um, very, very glute dominant. Um, uh, and then, you know, more up the kinetic chain, like there's just a piece of your body that's designed to handle stress, right? Like your glutes, your, your feet, your, um, your lats, like these are big, large muscle groups that can carry a lot of stress that's what they're designed to do, so just getting people kind of pulling them back in to, to utilize the inherent structure that we're designed with. Interesting,
0: that's super interesting. You know, you mentioned glutes as well. I always have super tight hamstrings, I'm super flexible, I can do the splits, mm-hmm. but my hamstrings are always tight, and no matter how much I stretch them, they don't. Uh, become any looser. But the second that I started training my glutes, like using the banded work, really focusing on that activation, and I think most importantly, reconstituting that mind-muscle connection, my hamstrings not only became looser, they became so much stronger and stringier. And it was almost like my brain finally was like, okay, cool, you could loosen up those hamstrings because now we can apply more force with those glutes. That's interesting that you kind of brought up the big muscle groups and how they're meant to take a lot of stress what, you know, I, I assume like for me, it's like, yeah, I assume like everyone's glutes are super weak. Like what are the primary weak structural points that we have now due to our modern lifestyle due to the fact we're always sitting and doing stuff? Like
1: what are the most neglected body parts in terms of, of, of activation? I would say number one feet, like mm. bar none. Um, people just don't, you know, even if guys like go in, I mean, like if you look at the, the, the general population, right? Like 50% of them. 60% of them don't train legs in any sort of meaningful way to begin with. Right. And then even out of the ones that do like it's, ve- they go in and it's like, you know, compounds or machine focused and like their feet are just weak as fuck. And so then they're going to try to, you know, do anything athletic and it's just not going to work, you know, because also a lot of the, the nerve endings to your feet, uh, or to your, your nerve endings are in your feet. Right. And so. That's like the big one, I would say, um, and just like really, you know, spreading the toes, like building that just kind of structural capability in like your arch and overall, just kind of building some resilience with it, uh, makes a huge difference. Like I've had in cr- like just crazy, you know, I've had probably a lot of people that like gotten to throw their first dunk down. Right. And a lot of times is like most people's hips and, and quads are strong enough, but they can't utilize it because there's nothing to, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like trying to bump, like bounce a rubber ball off sand, you know? Um, so I would say the feet are a huge one. Um, I think most people's core is really weak. Right. And they have the, like their, their rib cage and their pelvis are just in a really compromised position because their feet are weak. And now, you know, they really don't they can't utilize their glutes fully. They're not glute dominant. They end up in all these compensations because of that, right? Because they're trying to protect themselves. Uh, and then that kind of weakens out the core and they can't really, you know, connect their upper and lower half. Uh, so I would say core, uh, the feet, um, I think for a lot of people, um, like their, their smaller back musculature, um, is, is very weak. And so now then they, it just affects everything up the chain. Right. They get into like this weird, you know, kind of like rounded shoulders, neck piece. And that just automatically kind of puts you in a a fight or flight state. You're closing your airway. Um, yeah, those are the big ones I would say is like the feet, the, the core, um, just like the lower back musculature that supports like you having an upright, right. And like pulling that back, opening up the airway, kind of the maxilla and jaw complex. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's I dude, man, I, so, I mean, you grew up skiing. I grew up skiing too. And a ski boot, that's pretty much a cast for foot. So I always, I had such weak feet. I remember I'd like jumped down from doing pull-ups and I would jump down. It was like this much, it was like that high up and I would drop on my feet and I would just get this shocking pain up my entire chain because my feet were so weak. Once I committed to just going full barefoot, my entire posture changed uh, just the way that I, like my structure completely changed. And this is something that I completely overlooked as a meathead, as a teenager, because I just wanted to look big. I couldn't give two shits about structural alignment. I'm like, I just thought that the only key to aesthetics was muscle mass. But once I started focusing on that, focusing on utilizing my body as a whole, activating that entire chain as one, it changes the way that you look so significantly. It's, It's unfathomable. You look more proportioned, you look better structured, you exude more space and confidence. And I think that's something really important to look at because I do think that people are almost off-put by like the whole structural integrity thing because they're like, how does that affect me? But then you speak of it when you're like, it's gonna make you look like a more functional human, you're gonna look better, you're gonna feel better. And that's when it really clicks. I noticed it, one of the best things that I've been doing, and I'm curious if you've experimented with it it at all, is like the primal movement stuff. Like I just go to the beach and I just kind of walk around like a monkey. I found that too. When I'm done with that, I'm like walking different. My lower back pain, which I've had forever, is like ameliorated. I've been doing that a lot. And then what's it called? Functional patterns. Have you dug into functional patterns at all?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I've explored that more than the primal movement stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting. I have a lot of respect for just like the, the modality and kind of uh, methodology behind it it's, it, I don't know, it's a little off putting to me, like, like, I just think anybody that's sitting here and telling you like, some form of, of physical training is like bad for you. And like, I don't know, just the way naughty is, is kind of like, not really for me, I guess. Uh, but I respect yeah. it. And kind of the, the work he's done, I think there's a lot of good stuff within that. Uh, but I do think it, you know, loses some appeal to me when it's like, well, you know, you load up any kind of heavy weight, like you're just, you know, it's just going to kill you, right? That's just not true, in my opinion at all. Um, I've seen the primal stuff, haven't dug into it a ton. (laughs) Um, But I do think like, you know, I'm very, I try to like isolate a lot of these things, right. And I think that, you know, like, to me, what, what naughty is kind of really what he's ultimately saying, as I pull it out and kind of isolate it from from, and I haven't dug into it super deep, but it's ultimately just understanding that you know there is, uh, you know, kind of in line with what I was saying in terms of there's you know muscles that are designed to hold this tension, and it is all very rotational and based around our movement, um, and I agree with that heavily. Um, and then like on the more primal stuff, like I don't know, like to me it just never was so appealing to like just kind of have these like free flow, very subjective things. Like I'm very quantitative in terms of like the training and, and again, just isolating and really dialing in what exactly I'm doing and what I'm like, you know, like for example, just to make the point, I guess a little clear, like I don't like going to yoga because to me, it's like a very subjective kind of like free flowing. I just don't like that format, but I'll sit down and do, okay, I'm doing this stretch for this amount of time. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, I guess that's kind of the comparison. Um, so I haven't done the primal stuff too much. Um, but I do think there's a lot of good stuff within it just in terms of, you know, there's a really foundational, but all of this stuff is really built off of like gait, right? Like how you walk, um, uh, both functional patterns as well as like some of the primal stuff. Um, you know, you have, there's, there's the seven kind of core movement patterns. You've got, you know, push, pull, rotate, um, hinge, squat, and then gait. I think that's the full seven. I might, might be, maybe missed one, but uh, a lot of those things like these more like unconventional methodologies are built off of the gate, just like how you walk, how you run. Um, and so I think the, when you dig deep into that, and I've looked into like the gate cycle pretty extensively with some of the athletic stuff, like what it's actually really built off of is the progression of how babies learn to walk, which is really interesting, like the quadruped development right like if you put a baby like a baby's born right and they get old enough to like you know somewhat function normally they they start by like laying on their stomach or laying on their back with their knees up and they're like building that just like base core and and sort of like glute connection and being able to kind of isometr- isometrically hold that stable right and then from there what they progress to is is flipping rolling over right and then now they're on their their hands and their knees and crawling. Right. And that mimics the gait pattern. Right. And then from there they get up and it's all the same thing. So I like to like use some of that. Again, I'm very isolatory in terms of thinking about an an objective. Like I want to pull those concepts out and just like isolate it and train it. Cause I don't want to, you know, if it's one thing, if I'm going to go, you know, just have fun and fuck around on the beach. Right. But in terms of like my training, I like to have a very objective, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm progressing it. Etc. Um, and I think that working that kind of quadru- quadruped um, crawling development and then building up through the gate cycle is really important. Um,
0: that's super interesting. I, I haven't really thought of it, you know, to be fair, I haven't dug into any of this. I think the only guy who I've actually really dug into his stuff has been the knees over toes guy, um, him and like a little bit of Phil DeRue stuff when it came to hip mobility. But yeah, I think, you know, that's where we differ. And you know, neither are good nor bad, right. And you're also coming from like a competitive athlete standpoint. I'm coming from just being a guy that like likes to train for fun. But like mine's very exploratory. And I purposefully avoid a lot of these schools like go to primal or like functional patterns. I haven't watched a single video of any of those, because I just smell ego and dogma, you know, I just smell them being like, Hey, listen, this is the one and only training modality. Everything else is, is jank. I don't believe that at all. Like I like the idea of applying all of them, you know, I'll go to the gym and I'll do an exclusively machine workout, but in between using those machines for hypertrophy, I'll be doing like mobility flows. And then I'll go after that and I'll go to the beach and I'll do some sprints. I'll do some goat, I'll do some, whatever it is. And I think that's where you really see incredible results is when you bend and meld all of them together. Cause you have to ask yourself, like, what are you training for? You know, if you're not training for like a specific modality to compete and be in the top 1%, why, you know, pigeonhole yourself in that one modality, you combine all of them, you're going to have an incredible overarching and very, you know, broad ex- and expansive strength profile. And that's what I think is the coolest. It gives you a unique physique it gives you a unique strength profi- profile. And most importantly, it makes you extremely adaptive. Like, I love the fact that I can go and I can ad- adapt. To any form of training, depending on what it is. Like I'm here with Vance and Vance is a professional fighter. And like, if I was doing just bodybuilding workouts the last few months, I'd be getting absolutely mopped every day, but it's like, I can keep up with the exercise. I can keep up with the rolling and the sparring, and I can really not miss a beat without having to sacrifice like the strength and the aesthetics and the mobility and all these other things. So that's, that's something that like, I'm very wary of is any of these schools where they tell their, Uh, Students that it's this way and only this way and anything
1: else that you train is going to kill you It's it's so it's so ridiculous to me. It's honestly bullshit man, like especially, you know, like as a practitioner um, I you know I've taken a lot of good things from these people and like the ideas they presented But you know, it's just so it's such bullshit as a practitioner Like again, like if if anyone's being honest with themselves, right with really any life pursuit not just training like again it's it's intensity over time in continuing that like at the end of the day that's what it is right and so then to to like not only pigeonhole yourself but also you know the people you're supposedly trying to help in that they can't you know like it's never bad for you to go and like work out it's just not it's, there's no reality where that is the case and, and and yeah i just think it's like very counterintuitive to the the supposed goal of what being know kind of a health and fitness professional is which is to help other people that now you're going to you know create create this kind of like fear-based dogma that you know if you're doing anything outside of this or that like it's uh you know you're gonna end up in trouble i just don't subscribe to that mindset and i think it's really also i think there's you know a better way to do things for sure and i think it's okay to say that but yeah just like the human body is so adaptable And the idea that, you know, ever lifting any kind of weights or ever using a machine or any of these different, you know, ideas that you see spread, it's just bullshit. It's really bad. Um, and again, it hurts people because now they're out there, you know, thinking, Oh, they, they have this like hypochondriac sort of mindset towards doing things that ultimately, you know, if they didn't have that, they would maybe, you know, put in an extra couple of days at the gym per week and ultimately feel better about themselves, about their life. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you see it with every single, like, group.
0: It's it's the closest thing we have to religion. In my opinion, fitness and nutrition, those are the closest, like, neo-religions that we have, other than real religion, obviously, um, especially right. with nutrition. Like, someone's a vegan, and that's their entire identity. That's their entire lifestyle. They start foregoing facts because they start meddling the purpose of, like, focusing on nutrition, which is invariably to improve your health. And they start making it their identity. They're no longer vegan because it's good for them. They're vegan because it's who they are. It's like a representation of themselves. And they tie their identity to it. Same thing with guys that are like Gota, whatever. And I'm not shitting on anyone in particular. I just like think from what I've heard about, you know, Gota. It's like they're very much like if you do anything outside of this, you're out. You're excommunicated. And it's so ridiculous. I think it is a lot harder to create your own Identity and your own fundamental beliefs about anything in this world, but especially fitness and nutrition. And it's something that you kind of have to commit to the best way that I've found to do it. And I think everyone should do is like garner and harness the skill of being able to entertain ideas without immediately classifying them as good or bad. And if you can do that, you just immediately open the doors to the amount of information and resources and inspiration that you can get to then build your own unique style and your unique format. And I think that in my opinion is the real end goal to build your own style and your own format that no one else has been able to do because
1: they haven't been able to cultivate that skill. Yeah. I think it's, I had a, I tweeted about this maybe like, I don't know, three weeks ago with the, the kind of identity piece, like the way most people identify themselves ends up being a massive hamstring to them, right? Like you, you know, you've seen it with us, like bouncing back and forth between kind of like, like last time we talked, right? I was so deep in like the the kind of like internet marketing world. And that was my sole focus other than, you know, just kind of maintaining my health and things like that. And it's like, if I would have identified with it, then it makes it a lot harder to kind of recognize the maybe like incongruence or, You know the the in alignment that i'm pursuing right but that's what most people do they place these labels on themselves and and wrap their identity up in these external things and it ultimately hamstrings them because it makes it way harder to change should they identify you know a better source of information or a better way of doing things and so yeah it's just a really it's a really kind of dangerous game to play uh, because there will come a time when maybe that identity won't serve you so much and now you're going to have a really egoic kind of battle with letting go of it uh, versus being fluid and, and really just identifying with what you're trying to do in that time and really just identifying as you as the individual, which is much harder to do. But I think, you know, both with your, your body and your health, right, as well as, you know, the anything you're going to do, your, your, your productivity or your work or, you know your kind of creative and spiritual inclination if you do just kind of identify as you it's a lot stronger you know like you have much more pull because you are you and that's like a unique factor you know it uh not not just training related but you know especially working with so many people like on the content side uh, a lot of people want to just like pigeonhole themselves as yeah i'm that guy or i do this and it's like it's much less compelling than, you know, I am Logan or I am Noah. And I I think people ultimately, like we drive every, we derive everything from connection interpersonally at the end of the day. And I think it's much more powerful to be you than, you know, vegan biohacker or (laughs) carnivore power lifter or whatever, you know? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And you know, the issue is,
0: crafting your own identity, it's scary, because it's uncertain. What a lot of us like to do is we like to find something that already has merit that already has value to someone or an association, right? That's why we join fraternities, right? Because if you're just a guy at a university, you're nothing. But if you're a guy at a university, that's a Kappa Sig. Now that entire identity of the Kappa Sig, like whatever fraternity, it's transposed onto you. So you're essentially borrowing credibility from other things like pre existing ideals and means, you know, And I see see it too. I see people on social media all the time. They'll pigeonhole themselves as the X guy, right? But that's only a fraction of their identity. But it's just the thing that's going to help get them to the top. So then they do that. They get a bunch of followers. They they build more clout than they would have if they actually focused on building their own brand and their own identity. And now they're burnt out. And now it's no longer even a big part of them, but they feel stuck. I've got a buddy. He um, crushes it, like huge influencer when it comes to yoga. And he's like, I barely do yoga anymore. I do yoga for like... 10 minutes a day, maybe like I'm so over it. I want to start over, but it's too late. He went too far up that mountain where the sunk cost of starting over is too much. And I was very apprehensive about that in the beginning. I was like, I, cause I used to have that same thing and we all do, right? Because we have this recency bias, but the thing that we're obsessed with right now is the thing we're going to be obsessed with for the rest of our life right? We're obsessed with it. It gives us a sense of purpose and a sense of identity. So it's now who we are. And you see with guys that will change their bio every month, right? Where they're like, I'm this guy now, I'm that guy now. What that does is that hinders your ability to create long-term credibility because now you're just the guy that hops around a lot. I think the most important thing to do from a tactical standpoint is to preface everything that I may be obsessed with this thing, but I am just in my head obsessed with this thing right now. This is a fragment of interest, it's not who I am, and you need to extrapolate that identity. And it goes the same with athletes, too. People will make you know football their entire identity, and it's everything they could ever think about. They wanted to go pro, that this was who they are, but a number of things happen along the way they get injured, now what, right? And some of them are screwed. Or I see it a lot with you know people that I went to school with that all played a sport. There was one segment of them, they continued to play that sport and they really tried to pursue being the best in it. There was another one where they lost that identity after because there was no path for them. And now they're alcoholics. They're in a job that they hate. They're trying to kind of mop away that sadness because they didn't know how to extrapolate that. But then you have that third person that dug deeper and said, oh, I'm obsessed with football. I like football, but it's not like my true core foundation. My true core foundation are these facets that football embody: the camaraderie, the competition, the drive to improve myself every single day. That is my identity. And now that I know that at a fundamental level, I can go and I can apply that to a new domain. And now they're crushing it in a completely different facet, right? In business, in their career, in their relationships. And that's the real key is just take whatever you think you're obsessed with and try to distill it to its core fundamental parts and realize that that's the real obsession. Because I think a lot of obsessions are inherent and then they just happen to latch on to the closest thing that makes sense for those obsessions in the modern world. Because I mean, football has been around for what? 300 years? like you can't be like football isn't in your blood drive competition and desire is in your blood. And that's just how you,
1: you know, channel it. Yeah. And I think too, like, you know, if like all of the, the successes, right, like, really, you know, being really great at something, a lot of times is, is especially in the world we live in now, it's not so much like, it's much harder now to be in like this, you know, you just like, go into like an industry or a subsect of the world and you're just going to kind of like scale to the top of that vertical that's not really how it works anymore it's just not like that you know ultimately kind of how it works now is like you you find the successes at kind of the intersections of a lot of different unique things and and you win by like basically competing in something that no one else is right um and and i think that when you kind of take that mindset, it's much easier to find those unique intersections of you that you can then, you know, capitalize on or find success with whatever it might be, because that's just kind of, it's just a much better route to success and kind of being fluid. I have just seen it time and time again, like, you know, the thing that you start with, I'm sure the thing that you started with and the thing I started with wasn't where we ended up, right? But it was like, You know, just collecting. It it just allows your work to compound. If you're working on you, the work can compound. If you're working on this thing, something might change. And what are you left with then? you know? uh, Maybe like, like I I would liken it to this, right? Like maybe let's say some guy got super obsessed with like NAC and that's his thing, right? Well then like COVID comes, like they ban it, you're gone. But if you were just like this, amogulous person and you're more fluid, now you can just like, there's a lot of things you can take from that and repurpose, right? Uh, Maybe it's just like the biochem foundation, uh, whatever it might be. But yeah, I I think it's a much better route for life. uh, Because I just like don't really, I also don't really buy into this idea of like, specialization, you know, like, I just think it's a a very sterile um, kind of subhuman way of thinking to just like isolate everything down into just like these little individual components. And now that's just you like, that's, that's what robots are for. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a robot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And specialization was not a thing. Like hyper-specialization was not a thing until the industrial revolution. Specialization in general was not a thing until the agricultural revolution sure you know we grew up in and we evolved in like tribal environments and everybody had something that they were known for and good at like maybe that person was really good at you know picking berries right making salves. another guy was really good at making fire but you had to be self-sufficient across the board and i think that's why the true key to fulfillment is being fully self-sufficient now the modern culture really promotes and incentivizes specialization because that's how you create interdependence and that's how you actually make something bigger as a whole. Mm-hmm. But then you're stuck in that system, right? If you put all of your chips into being the best software developer ever, that's great, but you're a one trick pony. You need your project manager, you need your operators, you need your finance guys, not to mention you need someone to cook your food and you know you would die immediately if you went into like your own environment. I see it a lot with engineers that go into business, uh, the hyper specialized engineers, they're like, man, I'm such a good fucking engineer. What am I doing making all these other people money? I'm gonna go start my own business. And they absolutely are horrible at it. And the reason for that is because they are good at being a specialist and there's some people that can do that, but most people just aren't built that way, especially hunter types. Now, if you, that's why I was really against, and I'm sure you're the same way, but I was against specializing in school, you know, and even in business now, it's like, I'm not going to commit four years of my life to learn a hyper-specialized skill, like data analysis or accounting. Because one, I highly doubt that I'll be even relatively interested in it, even if I'm obsessed with it now. Yeah. Yeah, I doubt I'll be relatively interested in it in 10 years. Two, I have no idea what the career landscape and the work landscape is going to look like in a decade. So why am I putting all my chips in this one basket when it could be completely antiquated? Like imagine if I spent the last seven years of my life specializing in Photoshop and nothing else, and now AI comes in and it's, it's still important, but it's, it's frivolous to focus that much time on it. So focusing on those meta skills was in my from, from my experience, what really enabled me to kind of have more mobility, right? Like I knew whatever I'm gonna do in the future, there's things that I can focus on now that'll help me regardless and keep my options open. Sales, marketing, interpersonal relationships, public speaking, charisma. So go all in on those, those will get you direct opportunities. Now they'll open the doors for things in the future. And something that you mentioned, which is really important is it'll enable you to take advantage of the opportunities when those intersections occur. You know, I spent two and a half years building threat intelligence and cybersecurity. I thought that was like my thing, but in the back of my head, I was purposely focusing on all those skills that I could easily apply and extrapolate to new opportunities as they arose. So the second I left that, I was able to take all of those things that other people would have seen as a sunk cost and apply it to the next opportunity. So I think the, the core preface of that is focus on the timeless meta skills, right? The things that people were talking about 200 years ago, the things that people will be talking about 300 years from now. And I think it's even more important in this era of rapid technical expansion, uh, technological expansion and artificial intelligence, like you still want to be charismatic. I think, you know, they said creativity was the only thing that wouldn't be able to be outsourced to AI. It kind of has,
1: but charisma, I don't think charisma can be outsourced. I agree. I agree. I think there'll always be a need for that. Just like human connection, you know? Uh, cause that's ultimately like, why do we do anything that we do? Like, that's really like the core of it all at the end of the day is, you know, why do you get in shape? Cause you want to feel better and look better you know, or have some level of status or, or whatever it might be. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that, and then like kind of in line with your example, like that, you know, engineer that like goes, he's super good at his engineering, but now, you know, he doesn't actually capitalize on that. Yeah. Maybe I'll make 120 grand a year at, at some firm, but he doesn't actually capitalize on how good he is until he finds that unique kind of horizontal expansion and intersection of him and what he does and his interest and passion that allows him to kind of like build something really incredible.
0: Yeah. And, you know, with with the engineer example, it's really important. And, you know, for anyone that wants to be an engineer, which I think is great. We need more engineers, but the person who's in the top 10% of their class, but has, uh, like inner social skills will almost always outweigh the person that is in the top 1% of their class but has no skills. And at the end of the day, in any domain, any specialty, any niche that you're in, there's always going to be someone that's willing to give up more than you to reach that number one spot. They're going to be willing to have no social life, to have no other skills or hobbies, to have no relationships whatsoever, and you know to get that number one spot. And you have to ask yourself, am I willing to do that? I think 99.9%, like statistically speaking, 99.9% of people aren't willing to do that because there's only one number one spot. And the earning potential and the success potential between person number one and number five, it's drastically different. You see it in sports too. Like how much does the highest paid boxer make versus how much does the, you know, mid ranked boxer that's still in the top 1% make? It's so different. So the best thing that I think most people can pursue is to get proficient in a lot of things have that specialization in one thing and then be in the top 5% of like five things and then create their own category. And that's, in my opinion, how you really create a blue ocean strategy and
1: most importantly achieve a unique and fulfilled life. Yeah, absolutely. And you just like, you end up speaking so specifically to a subsect of people that you're like, yeah, it just creates your own, own life. And like, things spawn off of that. Because again, it feels like you are kind of there for them. And it builds these, you know, idiosyncrasies that just expand through the world, really. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Tim Ferriss
0: was the guy that really kind of showed me that idea of lifestyle design in this concept that you can kind of remove all preconceived notions of what it means to be successful and what games are available to play. And I think if if someone has the fortitude to remove those conceived notions, those expectations set on them by school and culture and their parents, they can really create an awesome lifestyle. And dude, honestly, even I see it now, it's like, I have a very unique and specific lifestyle that I live, but sometimes I'll go and I'll start getting carried away with other people's lifestyle. They're called these like hermetic desires. And I'll catch myself. I've caught myself now because, you know, I'm, I'm traveling with some buddies and we're doing all these things. And we're with a lot of these people that, you know, are, are focusing on uh, different things, right? Like status and, and appearance and, you know, success in certain domains. And I start playing those games and I'm like, this is such a dumb game to play. Like no one's forcing me to play these games. I can really just create whatever lifestyle I want and no one can tell me otherwise. And it's so scary, but it's so freeing. And I, And I think more people need to do that remove those preconceived notions and kind of reset their baseline for what it means to live a fulfilled
1: life. Absolutely, man. <clears throat> I think like, just, I don't know. I've really over the past couple of years kind of, uh, and maybe, you know, even labeled myself too much as it, right. But like leaned into that more kind of uh, quasi creative sort of mindset and it's just yielded me a lot of, of benefit um, just in how I think and approach my life as well as, the more external objective kind of outputs and results that I get out of it, just viewing it from that more creative lens and, and viewing it like art, not, you know, numbers so much from a broad life perspective.
0: Yeah. I'm realizing that now too. It's like, I'm just, I'm not uh, motivated by the things that, you know, most people are supposed to be motivated by. And then just getting to the point where like saying, Hey, that's okay. You know, if you're trying to motivate yourself with things that aren't intrinsic, they are going to fickle out they're going to burn out and you know it sounds like you've experienced burnout as well but you know i see all of those as opportunities to figure out what your real motivating and driving factor is you know is it the response that you get when you help someone right is it the natural learning process of exploring you know what is the point of life or like what it like or, or mastery i think mastery is a big one a lot of us you know especially hunter types they're driven by the desire for mastery to really understand Core fundamental concepts of a of, of various number of, of topics, and I'm getting back to that. And now the question is, like, how can you make it sustainable? How can you make it your mission, like your life mission, and and make it where you can support yourself and your family doing that in a way that still aligns with you and your values? And um, you know, I think people get caught up by the the loud minority, right? Like the loud minority of people that are flexing and they're really good at that, and they sell that lifestyle they never take a step back and try to ask themselves like, what would be
1: an ideal lifestyle for me? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, and I also think too, like people just put a lot of pressure on themselves too. like, to, I mean, I understand like the, obviously need for people to, you know, provide for themselves, their family, et cetera. Uh, but I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves too to like, you know, how can I, cement this change and, and just being open to it being a little more free flowing and and just kind of, I don't know, things in my experience tend to avoid the people that are really like, you know, starving for them, you know, there's yeah. like, you just, but if you're open to it and just kind of free flow a little bit more and just kind of re- remove the the pressure from yourself a bit and the need for it to, you know, happen on this, because it's never happened for me and I, like, by all means, like working hard is not necessarily meaning, you know, you're, you're starving for that thing. It's like, it's more so just how you're approaching it mentally. And, and when you allow it, cause things have never worked out for me, like in that very linear force way, it's always just been kind of stepping back and, and, and letting things flow a bit more and removing that pressure. And then from there, it opens up space for you to be more free flowing and creative and and build something unique and do something kind of special. Um, and it just works way better from, from my experience. That's so true. I mean, like I've never met someone
0: and like, I've never been like, I really want to make friends with this person. And then you try to do it. it you, like, that's not how you make friends. You know, yep. everything that I've done, it's really come about organically. You know, it's once I gave up, it's always been, once I gave up, I capitulated and I said, fuck it. Like, That's when my life started really making a change for the better. Now, I do think that because I spent so much time really focusing on being a try hard, really focusing on working hard and improving my traits and improving my skills that once again, gave me the assets and skills and capabilities I needed to then take advantage of those opportunities when they came. But yeah, everything has always just been an organic intuitive flow for me, at least everything worthwhile and everything beneficial. And it's, it's so counterintuitive. I don't think it's black and white. I don't think the solution is just like give up, but I think people need to be comfortable with kind of just going with the flow sometimes. And just like letting go, not being a try hard. I I see a lot with, you know, social anxiety, people that like really try hard to get people to like them. They're almost invariably the least likable person in a group. It's the person that just doesn't really care because they have a certain level of self-assurance and self-confidence that they don't need anyone to like them. Those are
1: always the most likable people I find. A hundred percent. And I think too, like, you know, again, not discounting in any way, like hard work or things like that, but I think like kind of what you touched on, uh, you know, like the time spent, you know, grinding, if you will, before that, like, I also think too, you know, when you kind of reduce the pressure, it makes it easier to do that because you're, you're not doing it with like, you're, you're actually pursuing mastery, not some, you know, foreign self-serving objective as much. And you're just kind of, you end up working harder because there's not the pressure of like, you know, you need X, Y, Z outcome right now, but just working and doing it for the sake of, it just allows for magic to happen. It really does. I think I've been really thinking about that recently because I get such good work done
0: on the weekends, on the weekends Mm -hmm. at night, when I'm not supposed to be working because all of those like blinders that you're put on when you're forced to do this structural work. It puts you in this high stress state. And the biggest you know, deterrent from creativity and free thinking is stress, right? Stress and expectations. So you remove those and you kind of let your cognition flow. It's going to almost invariably, hopefully if you keep those distractions away, leads you to the thing that is going to be most impactful to you long-term. And I was doing that. I've been doing that recently. I've been getting back into that because I've been able kind of like, you know, with being on social media, you get the social media habit and that time otherwise spent exploring ideas is now spent scrolling on the timeline. I think honestly, you know, this could be an entire topic, but I think that is like the biggest destructor to people's destroyer of people's potential is them wasting all that cognitive pondering energy on scrolling on social media, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, just constant stimulation. That's like the biggest problem I see. It's, it's the biggest problem in myself as well. But um, me, <clears throat> just saying screw it. I'm just gonna do whatever I want right now and just focus on what I want. <coughs> Excuse me, has been um, it's it's huge. And I think the personal satisfaction I get from it gives me the energy and power and reason to get my shit done as well. So now I wake up in the morning. It's like all right, I gotta get I gotta get my shit done that I gotta get done so I can then go and have that freedom to yeah. go and flow with whatever ideas come about
1: yeah the the time like my productivity and again not so much on like checking the box but like the actual outcome and in, in outputs from the time spent when they're like saturday or sunday when i'm not working per se is always far and above the you know the best outputs that i ever create it's the where my brain is like just doing things for the sake of making something sweet. And then there's a weird kind of quasi spiritual thing that happens there where you're just very connected to the time, space, energy uh, of that moment. And other people can kind of feel that and and lay into it. And I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, they can really create that too by, you know, like you said, like, avoiding the, the superficial things, you know, the need to flex, the need to you know, get X, Y, Z material thing, because that just adds pressure to the deadline. Um, and you know, or I've done this in the past with like, you know, trying to, too aggressively like scale the business that I'm working on. It's like, then what happens is it forces, it adds to that because now you're like you know, spending money on it and, and it just takes away the pressure. But if people would, you know, really work to kind of just, reduce their, their bottom line or their expenses and, and really just give themselves more time for whatever they're trying to do. It reduces that pressure and allows you to get into that more creative space. Yes.
0: I, I like there's, you know, there's two sides of that coin. I see merit in both. I do think like the reason that I was able to focus on things that were more intrinsic and to my interest is because I just figured out really early on. It's like, how can I make enough money to survive? and then have a lifestyle that enables me to like live on that while still doing all the things that I want. Like, you know, before I was on Twitter, I was already on a beach in a foreign country, you know, doing exactly what I wanted to do with a low burn rate. Now, I do think that seasons are effective. So going and having that season where you're in that creative mindset and you're thinking about things that you wanna do and opportunities that you could have, and then going into a high stress environment when all of those ideas are already like established and then using that to execute. That, psych- that cyclical nature is from what I've seen to be the most effective. I, I, and it very much, you know, it's it seasons and
1: it very much aligns with our natural tendency to follow the herds and follow the seasons. No, I totally agree with that. And I think too, like, you know, no matter, even if you find them to be like ultra legitimate, right? Like you should always take everyone's advice with a grain of salt and, you know, understand that you're hearing what they feel is best for them in that moment you know, or in that season. So, no, I totally agree with that. And I think it's not, it's not cut and dry. And ultimately you have to experiment and see like what, what makes the most sense for you. Um, I will say though, I think a lot of people, I mean, I, like I agree with you, those times where I kind of had the the deadline or, you know, the, the more weight on my shoulders, right? Like it forces you to adapt. Absolutely. Um, but I, I do think that there's a lot of times when, you know, People will like, you can't weigh it apples to apples. Cause you don't know what kind of growth you would have had if you had like, you know, a two year runway with, without that, you know, like you don't know what you would have created in that space. And so I do think in general, um, a lot of people just, they, they need to find a way to expand their timelines pretty much. Never is going to hurt you doing that, in my opinion, but yeah, I do agree that it's, it's very variable and personal and you have to kind of experiment ultimately. When you say expand their timelines, are you
0: saying, you know, focus on looking, you know, further in the future, five years online, 10 years online and stuff like
1: that? Yeah, Like, you know, no matter what it is you're trying to do, like it could be a business thing, it could be training. Like, are you trying to get it done this month? Or are you trying to get it done this year? Because yeah, it uh, to me, um, just having those, like the, the expectations come from the duration, you know, they come from saying, oh, I want to do it in this time frame, or else I'm going to be disappointed. And if you can expand the timeline, it pretty much never does you wrong. You know, like I just mm-hmm. haven't seen a scenario where pursuing it a bit more long-term doesn't help, but I do agree it, it comes in waves and, and how you're kind of attacking that. Yeah.
0: I mean, you, you have to ask yourself, what is going to be important? Because you don't know what you want, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. When I was a kid, there was things that I wanted that now I, I'm are superfluous to me. You know, I would kill for a PlayStation 4. Mm-hmm. Now I don't really give a shit. But at that point, I thought that's all I wanted. You know, I really, 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 really wanted a dog to the point where it's like, there was nothing else that I wanted in the world. Now, I still want a dog, but it's not nearly to the level that I did then. So understand that, you know, your desires will change, but there are going to be things that will matter, no, regardless, you know, like what's going to be important 10 years down the line, your reputation, right? So don't fuck people over, right? Your network and your connections. So make sure that you are helping others right now, right? And you're building these strong relationships, right? Your integrity and your sense of self-worth. So don't do things that make you hate yourself, your health. So don't screw your health over now for a goal that's short term. Like those are all important. And I, you know, used to, I was very much against setting goals for a while. I used to set goals, but every time I'd hit a goal, it would be superfluous. You know, I I use the call of duty uh, allegory a lot where, you know, I was, I would be obsessed with getting the gold gun. The Mm -hmm. second I got the gold gun, I never used it again, but I worked so hard to get that. And I take that same thing now and I apply it to my work and my life where it's like, there will be these short-term goals that I really want, but I know that once I hit them, it's not the end goal. It will do nothing for me, but I will use that as short-term motivation to get what I want. You know, whether it's like hit a certain number in terms of like, uh, business or, you know, audience or engagement, whatever it may be. But I know the second I hit it, it's going to be, it's going to be nothing to me. And I think that's the healthy way of utilizing short-term goals in a long-term context.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, I definitely agree. Like, for me, I, I really try to, like, maybe slightly different, but I just really try to think about it, like, very artistically now, and, and just kind of get to a place where I can, like, ultimately feel really good through the process of doing it, and um, just focus on that and get to a place where I can focus on that, and from there, magic just tends to happen, and so I kind of... Yeah, Approach it from, from that lens and just try to create the environment because I think our environment is so important in every facet of our life. But just create the environment where I can kind of tap in, if you will, and, and get into that flow state workflow to accomplish anything I'm doing and just kind of really enjoy the process and put full focus and attention into that. And then all of the external pieces tend to, to come along with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we overlook that.
0: And for me, I definitely overlook it because when I do work, it feels like work. When I do certain things, it's like, I'm pulling nails, I have to use every tool in my toolbox to just get that shit done. But then there's other things where I could do them do it like six hours a day, like podcasts, I could do six hours a day. And not only would that feel like nothing, it would give me more energy to go and then do other things. So if I had to choose between six hours of work that I really enjoy and 30 minutes of work that I absolutely despise, it's completely irrational, but I'm choosing the six hours. Thank and you. I think more people need to look at that. You know, it's not about how much money you make. It's about like how you make your money. I've heard a lot of people say that. I think that's really important, especially looking at a long-term uh, standpoint. Because like who are the people that are going to really be ahead? They're the people that are obsessed. They're the people that love what they do for the sake of loving it, not just for, you know, the outcomes. And that, in my opinion, is is the real winning in in like any book uh some people i'm sure some people they only want the the things and the outcomes that they get from their work which is fine too like if that's you go grind and do your thing and like reap what reap your rewards right whether it's you know a boat a nice house whatever it may be but like you know looking at it long term for for a lot of people who are more say like artistically inclined creatively inclined intuitively inclined you know it makes more sense to just figure out what you love and most
1: importantly what comes naturally to you? What's play for you that's worked for others? Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's, you know, the past year, really just kind of learned that intimately, you know, uh, growing the, the companies I've done and they're you know, doing really well, but just getting to a point where it's like, fuck man, like not enjoying this as much. So then what's the whole point, you know? Cause then you just end up like ultimately money is, worth nothing compared to our time really um and so i just think for me it's been uh that's been very true was
0: it a hard decision
1: i know a lot of guys
0: like they'll like guys will have a career for a decade and they'll be too afraid to jump ship for me i've never had that dude i'll I'll jump ship immediately like i'll I'll quit something the next day if,
1: if i'm not about it was it hard for you absolutely i mean we had you know like 11 employees or something like that obviously built built that company with one of my good friends like a lot of awesome clients that I really love um so it's absolutely a very tough decision um just for that really just the people more than anything um but yeah it's ultimately just the the best best thing and very fortunate to be in a su- situation where people under where understanding of it and things like that so uh, but yeah that was the biggest thing just like the people um, it's very tough yeah, it makes me think back because when I was in,
0: in tech and leaving that, like that thing that I was building for two and a half years, that was the hardest part. It was the people, you know, feeling like you let them down, feeling like, you know, you have an obligation. And what I tried to do, which I highly don't recommend is like doing a, a, a soft handoff, right? Like I'm still going to be involved, but just not involved to the level I was before. That's the worst thing you can do. That in my, it's like, you know, dating someone and being like, we're still going to hang out. You know, we're still going to go and do stuff, but we're not dating anymore. It's, you you have to cut it off. You have to rip the Band-Aid off. And it's hard. Uh, but someone told me when I was going through that, and I was really worried about it. They were like, you don't, you don't owe anybody anything, you know? Like, and that sounds Machiavellian. That sounds cutthroat, but it's not. At the end of the day, you don't owe anybody anything, you know? People will get over it. They're not thinking about you nearly as much as they're, you know, thinking about themselves and, you know, you can do it amicably and you would feel the same if someone else did the same thing to you like that. You, you really have to kind of focus on what's best for you because if you don't focus on what's best for you, you're not going to be able
1: to show up in the highest level for other people. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to end up letting them down to extent more than you would have, you know, um, leaving and, and kind mm-hmm. of doing the thing that's, best for you you're, you're not able to even deliver really for, for other people at least in my opinion so
0: i think the worst thing too is when you get to a point where you're so unhappy or dissatisfied that you just become you become sour and you start projecting that sourness to other people and now you're just being an asshole to like your friends and to the people that you work with and it's not their fault but you're unhappy because you're staying or you're doing something for the sake of others But it's actually becoming worse for them. It's ruining that relationship. So that's something I've become also very cognizant of because, like, I'll I'll get to those points where, like, I'm unhappy with myself and I let that unhappiness leach onto others. And I'm like, this is just awful. Like, go figure this out, you know?
1: (laughs) So it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, man. I I totally agree. I think it's just – it's a very interesting process. And ultimately, like, all of these things, too, like, the big piece people need really is – just like a little extra courage, you know, to just do the thing, try it, make it happen. Because as kind of like the recurring theme of our conversation, it, it will require some experimentation. And if you can work up the, the courage and conviction to just let it rip, that's really when, that's when things happen, you know, you gotta be willing to take the leap. Yep. You need that testicular fortitude. I think
0: it's curiosity and openness combined with testicular fortitude. That in my opinion is how you get ahead in life. That's how you kind of pave new paths. And if you want to go down a previously determined path, that's completely okay. But I think some people would just be so dissatisfied if they lived their life in accordance with someone else's structure. I know I would. So you know, have that testicular fortitude, identify what the worst case scenario is. I think that's something that if you get good at, it completely ameliorates all fear. Like, what's the worst case scenario? You know, and do fear setting. Identify what the worst case scenario is and go live it. You know, is it living on a hut in a hut in a foreign country off of like $2 a day? Is it working a shitty job? Go identify it and then ask yourself, am I willing to take this risk and do it? You know, and that's really the key. But I don't think it goes back to what you were saying about the timeline. People are looking at too short of a timeline. They want to make money now. They want success now. But in reality, like, you know, that's probably just going to make you commit to
1: irrational decisions uh, that are going to be detrimental long-term. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It's, uh, you can go long game. It sounds so simple and, like, silly, but it's really true. Yeah.
0: Well... Awesome, man. This this has been a long one. We usually stick to an hour, but we really kind of dug deep at the end. That happens all the time. And I genuinely believe anything business related, anything fitness related, they're just proxies for like the deeper fundamental pursuits. Mm-hmm. They always are, you know. Like that's why I love business because it's an external. It's an external reason to focus on self de- development, and that's why I love fitness because it's a physical way. Of achieving a certain level of mental expiration and fortitude. And you know, I think that's kind of the more like structured operator versus free-flowing artist pursuit. Like do
1: both. But um yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for coming on. Dude, likewise, it was great. Um uh, absolutely great to to run it back. I think this rendition was a lot better too, and a lot different. Um, uh, but yeah, man. Way different. Appreciate you having me and um, you know, I'm very yeah just excited to be here great combo and appreciate it
0: yeah i'm excited to see what you got cooking uh now that you are back on the fitness and health grind we'll be in the same space you're making the transgression from money twitter to, to health twitter again so uh yeah excited to see what you come out with these next few months
1: thanks man i appreciate it a Ton. i'm super excited as well
0: got some stuff cooking up wonderful dude see you logan have a good thanksgiving brother take it easy you too Noah.